it was either last summer or the summer before that when I was working I was working at a restaurant I said to you like every like every day that I don't write is another day that I'll be there like when I don't write say there's a, whether it's a day off or a day that I'm working if I don't write that day that's one more day that I'm going to be in this place that I don't want to be so it sort of comes down to and I'm like it comes down to how frustrated can you really get with yourself when is enough enough and when are you going to force yourself to do something this is the seasonals podcast a show where we talk to people living the seasonal lifestyle we take an in-depth look at the decision points they've encountered along the way Here I am with my brother, Sam Ravinsky, for an episode of the podcast. What's up, Sam? Uh, All right, let's start this off with a little bookkeeping, a little clerical uh, situation here. You once wrote a wrote an article for the Seasonals, and uh, I may or may not have cut a quote out of it, and that's that's been haunting us um, ever <laughs> since. Let's talk about this situation. What do the Seasonals need to do? to get back in the good graces of uh, your excellency. What can you do? Well, that's see, that's strike one right there. What do you bring to the table? What do you got for me? Well, I think, you know, I'm asking you what the price is, and then we'll either accept oh, or have I know what you're doing. I don't know. I guess an interview is a good way to start. That was a long time ago. <laughs> oh, I see. You've been very gracious. Thank you. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, we can just put it behind us, right? Well, I mean, that still exists. Somebody could still pick up that trash rag anywhere open it up to the right page i think most of them have been burned or pissed on so they're probably gone yeah you guys are good at burning bridges that's for sure (laughs) (laughs) but as as somebody who is is very good at that you know i sympathize with you i get it it's what i'm best at it's how dad did it (laughs) (laughs) it's worked pretty well so far well, I, so that was the, that my second story was the one you're talking about. Um, but I think both stories turn out good. I remember like, as like per usual, like when that happened, like I was a lot matter about it, like the first 24 hours. And then after that, it wasn't a big deal. Like it was still the same story. It was just, I don't know. Actually, you never actually told me why you did that. It just didn't it fit. Count? It, uh, yeah, I had the whole, the page laid out and it physically didn't fit on the page. Yeah. And I was like, okay, it's a, it's it's a quote. (laughs) It's a quote that didn't look like fit and we were rushed. And so I didn't, I didn't come back to you and say, Hey, do, do we need the quote? I just printed it without it. I was young. I made some mistakes and I'm coming to you groveling for forgiveness and asking what price I need to pay <laughs> to put it behind us. It's you're already forgiven. It's right, I, I'll tell you if you if you ever want me to write another story for the fuck yourself. <laughs> I want I, I, I get final cut. Otherwise I'm out. Final cut. That's what I want. Deal, you've got it from here on out. <laughs> you're the only one. Yeah, okay. I actually believe that. 
Now we've got you on record saying you're going to write an article for us. That's good. I didn't say I would. I said if you ever ask me to. Well, you what? Can go back. Point, you can go back. You can write. You can rewind it and listen to it. I, I never said I would. Well, I think audio re- editing is sort of like Photoshop. I can kind of make it sound. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Did we do that for the for the movie last summer when we cut one of Claire's lines halfway through, so it made made it sound like she said a different word or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, it was it was the beginning of my uh my nefarious plot to <laughs> make people say things that they didn't say. Yeah, you can learn you could change reality by computers, by editing. You're in this uh I think you're in this seasonal lifestyle. I mean you're working different seasons in different places. How how did it all start? Where'd you where'd you get your start? So actually I feel like that's pretty, like a pretty, whenever I go somewhere and meet new people, whether it's just like, like if I'm about like a job or whatever, people always ask me, like they see that I've worked in a town they've never heard of in Alaska and they go, oh, well, how'd you end up in Alaska? And I always like start by telling them that like I was in Chicago, working at a hardware store for like four years and I was just sort of over it. And then they always like 90% of the time they'll cut me off. And they go, I mean, well, how'd you get there? And then I go, oh, I was invited. The answer is I was invited by you. That's how I got there. <laughs> I, w- I wasn't going to cut you off. I was going to let you tell it, you know, whatever well, your story the, was. You're the, you're the 10%. I, I guess to be more exact, uh, why did you go up there? Why did you decide um, to jump into it? Well, I think, so you had invited me. By the time I said yes and came up there, I think the first the first summer, me, you, and Ryan uh, drove from Chicago to, and then got on a ferry. So we drove like the entire way. Actually, Ryan drove the entire way. Me and you didn't drive at all, which astounds me still. But um, what was the question? Um, I think my question was, uh, which of the C.S. Lewis Chronicles of Narnia <laughs> books are your favorite? Uh, the, the the horse and his boy. I think that was not the magician's favorite. nephew. That was the first one, right? Yeah. No, I always like the horse and his boy the best. I thought that was the best one. It's like it's the only one that's not a part. Like, I mean, most of them are its own thing, but that one's like really its own thing. Like all the any other character that's a part of it is just mentioned. Yeah, I guess I'll have to pick them up again. That one's. I always thought that would make a great movie. Unrelated question: Why did you go to Ketchikan? Why did you decide to go? Right. Okay. Now I remember. So by the time I actually went, you had asked me the year before that. You asked me, and I said no. And my, I think my situation was the exact same the year before. Like it was after high school. Uh, I was living in Chicago and I was really, really just not doing anything. I wasn't working. I mean, I had a job, but I wasn't really doing anything worthwhile. I was working at a, at a hardware store. And I think that the reason I said no in the first place was because it was because I didn't want to be like, I liked living close to Jasper and Max and Crosby. Our little brothers. Yeah. For those that don't know. And then, um, but Leah, like I said, nothing really before from the year between you asking me and me saying no uh, to a year after that and me saying yes, nothing really changed. I think maybe I was a little bit more more bored than I was the year before. I wanted to do something different than what I was doing. And so you 
hopped in Ryan's Pontiac Grand Am. Yeah. Little red yep. Corvette. And uh, <laughs> we headed north. Yep. It was, uh, it was a wild ride. What was your first job up there? I always think that finding a job is is can be easy or it can be not easy. I always, in my head, I always think, oh, well, I can get a job whenever I want. And then when it comes time to do it, like do laziness or just bad luck or good luck or whatever, it just always ends up being harder than it is. So I think I did the same thing I always do. And so when I got to Ketkan, I didn't have a job. Like first, like pro- almost probably not like the first half of the summer, but like pretty close. And then I just took the easiest job that I could get, which is uh, working at the airport, which at first was great because originally my job at the airport was to tie up float planes on the on the dock and then untie them. And just I was just out there all the time or in the office. And so that's a like much more glamorous the story to tell when people ask as far as what did I do there compared to what I ended up doing at the airport, which is I got switched to the other side, uh, which was like the bigger airplanes, unloading mail and shit like that. Yeah, but that was my first job, which went from being pretty great to pretty awful pretty quick. The the seasonal culture that you were that you found yourself in after that, how was that different than what you were used to back home? What I remember most from that first summer was being at I feel like being at the asylum a lot more because that's where I feel like that was like where everybody hung out. Like that was where all the seasonals, like all the people who came into work seasonals, that's where everybody was. And then that's where you and Ryan were. So I think Jason was there that first summer. So that's where I just remember being there a lot more. There's definitely a sort of transition period where I sort of had to wrap my head around. I don't know anyone here. Like I knew you and Ryan and Jason, but apart from that, everybody, and even most of the people that were there, you guys didn't know because they were new too, which is just what happens. But I think that's what I remember most is just being in the asylum and just getting used to what it's like to meet, to like for everybody, you know, to be a new person that you just don't know. Because before I came there, like I said, when I was in Chicago, I was doing this. I had been doing the same thing I was doing for the last four years, like hanging out with the same people every day. And we would do the same thing, like when we hung out, you know what I mean? Tell me about the transition from Chicago to Ketchikan and sort of back and forth that you've done a couple times. And now you're in San Diego. Like, tell me how that whole process has happened and what's come out of it. Well, it was always so. It was funny because, like, so I, I came to Ketchikan that first summer, and then I went back to Chicago during the winter. And I don't know if it's everywhere or just Ketchikan, but, like, or it's, there's, like, a certain point in the summer where you just sort of, like, you're ready. You just want to you want to do something else. You want to be somewhere else. And if it's if you know you're going back to – it's probably different for you guys because <clears throat> you don't really stay in one spot for – apart from staying in Ketchikan for the whole summer, you don't – you're sort of like during the winter, you sort of hop around. But so I would go back to Chicago and then, but the same thing would happen when I was there at a certain point throughout the winter, I'd want, like, I'd sort of get this feeling like, well, I last summer, like, I want to go, I want to go back to catch a camp. And so it sort of just went back and forth. Like there was just like, it was just sort of like maybe being homesick. And then once you got home and that wore off and then you started missing the, like 
I would just sort of like want to be back in Ketchikan. And then it sort of just went back and forth and back and forth. And now that I'm here in San Diego, it's sort of the same. I feel like it's definitely cool being somewhere new, especially somewhere with like, obviously, like when you think Southern California, I mean, it's 70 degrees today. And we have a pool and a hot tub in the basketball court, like right outside our house, which is cool. But it just, I guess it, it just depends, especially being here with Sarah, because she's like, she like, she can be got out of Ketchikan. Like she can be homesick like two days after leaving. So I think some of that rubs off on me from her. So like already I'm excited to go back, you know, but mostly honestly, part of it, a big part of it. I know that I, when I'm in Ketchikan, I make a lot of money. And right now, I, I don't. What do you have planned? I mean, you're going back to Ketchikan uh, mm-hmm. after San Diego. You know, what do you have planned for the summer? And then are you making any plans after that? As far as this summer goes, I feel, it's funny. I think every summer that I've gone to Ketchikan, the only plans I've really had were how much of something I want to get done as far as the stuff I'm interested in and what I'm working on. I, I think of it as how much of this can I get done or how much of just different projects, like depending on like, I think the first thing I told you was like, I want to finish this story that I've been writing forever and haven't finished. And I still haven't finished. So I failed that one, but I think it was like that and like get better at basketball. That's what I had going into the summer, but this summer it's the same thing. Now it's the same thing, but it's just sort of different because the film festival like I sort of have that extra thing to look forward to. Like I think like the other day, like I was happy like all day because I got an idea for to do for the film festival. And so now I have that. That's like, well, now I have now I want to do that. As far as goals, it's always something like that. So this summer is probably gonna be pretty like the same as last summer. But I think each time I go out there, it's always I should do more of this or I should do more of that. And it's usually like outdoor activities, stuff like that. And I think this winter could have been a lot different because at the beginning of the summer, when you ask people what they're going to do in the winter, like the earlier it is, the less people have to say because they haven't really thought about it, whether they just want to like enjoy summer and like not worry about that or because they just don't know. But like say this past summer, we probably had like four or five different plans of what we were going to do. And we did, we ended up here because of just circumstances, like something fell through or something happened or there was a different opportunity that we wanted to take advantage of. And then, so it just sort of, it it just changes. So as far as next winter, there's definitely a lot of places I would like to go. So this past summer was the first one I was able to really, I had a decent amount of money by the end of the summer, but now it's all gone. (laughs) So each summer is like a different, it's like the same, you get a new chance to do the same thing, but to do it better. So maybe this summer I'll do the same, but I'll try and do it better, save more money. And then maybe, and then I'll just try to learn from this winter and, and have that guide my decision as far as next winter. So it's definitely like a lot of places I want to go, <clears throat> a lot of places that you've been to. It's the same summer as last summer, but now you just have an opportunity to learn from your mistakes, your failures and successes and do it better. Like what's it look like in five years? Give me that. Let's fast forward 
say what do you what do you want it to look like then honestly like my five years from now i read so i read it was a quote by kowski there's a quote by him and it was basically Old charles it was huge, yeah it was like a whole it was a whole paragraph and he's basically he's basically saying how much it how much it killed him every second that he worked that he was a working stiff and how the people around him bought into it they were okay being a working stiff and the whole the whole paragraph we was talking about was just how much it killed him and so honestly if five years from now if i can honestly say that i'm not a working stiff which I am now, then that would be awesome. That's what I want. What is, what's the definition of a working stiff? I, I feel like specifically it could be a lot of things, but if you're in a place, say it's your job, you're, you're there every day for three hours or eight hours and you don't want to be there and you can feel it, you can just feel it. You know, it's like, um, it's sort of like, it's like almost suffocating. So I think being a working stiff is more of more of a feeling than it is a place or an actual occupation. It's a feeling of, you know, my time's got to be more valuable than, you know, whatever. Like even like fifth, like $11 an hour, $15 an hour, like an hour of my life has got to be more valuable than this. And then, but the reason I brought up that quote was because the half of that paragraph what he was talking about was they said like you take five people four of those people are going to buy into it four of those people are going to be fine with fine with that it's not they don't have that suffocating feeling and even if they do like even if they do and it just seems like they're buying into it from the outside they either can't or won't do something about it what would it look like to you if you weren't a working stiff before i get into that i feel uh i have a friend in chicago who one day we were talking about what we do if we had like a certain amount of money where we like we could do whatever we wanted, and he said something that like just blew my mind. He said that he'd still he'd work he'd go back to where he works a certain amount of time, like he'd go back for a few hours or for a certain amount of days, so he doesn't get bored. And that like sometimes I still laugh when I th- when I think about that, but that's a that's a good example of. I guess the people that buy into it, but also to more to the point, your last question, have you read, I'm sure you have because your boy highly recommends this book, but um, who's the guy who writes a four hour work week? Tim Ferriss. Yeah. He, on one of his, the books that he talks about is daily rituals. Have you read that? No, I have it from the library. I just finished it. It's daily rituals. It's, Written by Mason Curry. But it's basically, it's a book with however many, there's not chapters, there's just entries for like writers and artists and playwrights and poets and anything, any kind of artists. And it's like little entries and it's what their daily rituals, what they would do if they needed to write or paint um, or whatever. And there's a lot of, once you read all the way through it, you see all the similarities. There's a good amount of people who drink coffee all day, or there's a good amount of people, especially like way back in the day, like, you know, artists and scientists from like that were doing all their work in like eight in the 18, late 1800s who would just do drugs all day, whether it be opium or benzedrine, like whatever, like everybody has their own sort of 
<clears throat> routine as far as taking what they're interested in, however, whatever their creative outlet is, and then doing whatever they need to so that they can do their work. So I think not being a working stiff is for really in a general way is anybody who wants to create something, whether it be painting or dancing or science or math, like, because you can't, you can do that and, and be a working stiff. Like that's like, I, that's what I do now. I go to work and then when I'm not at work, I either waste my waste time or I, or I work, like I, I write so to be able to do that without the aspect of going into work and working for however many dollars an hour and really really hating it I think that's a pretty like it's it's it sounds simple but I feel like that's what obviously that's what anyone would want the project the last project that I worked on and focused on was I basically set a schedule for myself which was on my days off I would write 12 pages and on the days that I worked, I would write six pages, which is a lot, but I was able to do it. I don't know. When you think, just when you think about that, about finding time around your job, which I mean, it's possible, but it's also like, I remember when, when I lived in Chicago, I would walk to the hardware store and on my walk, whether it be like me walking from, cause I, I worked there and I lived close by and then I moved where I had to take the bus. But whether I, that walk from when I could just walk from my apartment to the hardware store, or even if I was just walking from the bus to the hardware store, I would have great ideas no matter like just because I was walking. And that's like a great way to think actually in that, the daily rituals book that I mentioned, that's another like pretty, like you, you find that a lot in people's daily rituals, like probably more than half take a break during their day to take a walk because it helps them think or clears their mind or whatever. So during those walks, I would come up with, to me, like depending on what I was working on and what I was thinking about all these great ideas, like that was a great time for my brain to work. And then I'd step through the doors, I'd go, I'd get to work and just all that, it would just like, just come to a screeching halt and then I would just be just doing very dull work and my brain would just sort of it didn't even feel like it was your brain it, it didn't rest it just sort of like rotted away a little bit because like it's like staring at a wall you know it's like if you work in customer service like a restaurant or retail or whatever it's dull work and it, there's nothing creative about it really for the most part So I think your original question was, what does it look like if you were to get to a point where you you could do what you wanted without having to devote however much of your time to being a working stiff? Like, it would just be all the good stuff minus all the bad stuff. (laughs) Right. Feeling feeling good all the time. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's just, it's just basically a, a, a question of time and freedom, being free, having the time and being free to do what you want to do, which if you want to do nothing, you can do nothing, which a lot of people do. Or if you have a, you know, a certain creative outlet, if there's something you're interested in, devoting time to that, which is, you know, everybody's got something they do. I mean, for the most part, everybody's got something some kind of creative outlet that makes them happy just to do it. I heard Chuck Polyanok recently say that 
he takes walks and you know does does things to get himself moving because it stimulates his writing process and all that. Also, I saw a thing about how long distance runners, ultra marathons and marathons and stuff like that. And this was some journal or something that said that their lifespans are shorter because and their their guess as to why is because they they put themselves into these stressful s- situations for you know, hours and hours at a time. Like I think the fastest ultra marathon is like an 11 hours or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so they have all this cortisol that's running through their system. And what it does is it just kind of oxidizes the brain, which is, you know, basically kind of, it rusts the brain. Mm-hmm. And so you have a higher rate of these different mental problems like dementia and Alzheimer's and people that do those. And it, from the way that you describe it, it sounds like that, that work sounds kind of similar to that. So you're in a, you're in a stressful situation where ultra marathon runners have trained themselves to be more comfortable in the, in that just like constant jogging or constant running. But when you're at work in this environment that you don't want to be in, it's, it sort of sounds like a similar effect on the brain. Mm -hmm. And I think, yeah, my so my question out of that is to you, if you had to really critically think about it right now, what is a life-changing amount of money? What's the lowest life-changing amount of money that you could receive right now? And how would that change manifest in your day-to-day? <laughs> you know what? I think the 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 number, the amount is gonna be a lot lower than you think it is. <laughs> Five bucks. <laughs> Uh, no, honestly, if like I think there's a certain amount of money like that if I was to receive right now, I would I would not go into work tomorrow. And it's probably like it's it and it's whatever I think I need to get through this winter this winter and to get me to back to catch a can where I can actually make good money. So honestly, if someone <laughs> if if I had like if I had like five grand. I wouldn't go into work tomorrow (laughs) 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 to be, if I'm being completely honest, but, and then, yeah. So then I'd have the entire, I'd have the entire rest of the winter to devote my time, which is, I mean, what's more important than, than time to the stuff that I'm interested in that create the, the stuff that I want to create and make and, and take from, just in my head to formatting in a way where someone else can look at it and see exactly what I'm seeing. That's why most of my, like the stuff that I work on in some form or another has like a cinematic aspect to it because that's all I really want to do is because it's, it's super easy. All I have to do. I think that's why I stopped drawing when I was a kid, because I got to a point where I realized that it was, so much easier and so much more like there's like in depth to just to just sort of think about things as opposed to drawing them and then now that it was like it's sort of like when a kid learns to walk for the first time and then they go back to crawling because that's faster and then once I got to a certain age and realized that well yeah it's easier to do that you can't really you can't really do you can't really do anything just by thinking, you know, you've got to take that and package it in a way that's physical, that exists outside of your mind. Yeah. Something tangible, something that people can interact with or 
exactly. And for de- depending on the person, that can be literally anything, any kind of anything that exists because they made it exist because they created it. Whether it's a drawing or a choreographed dance or a movie or a math equation or anything. So let me ask you this: you there's a lot of ideas in here that share the same um, kind of the same vein of you know, if you're going to work eight hours to make somebody else money at a job, don't come home and not work, you know, eight hours for yourself on a vision or a project or, you know, something that you want to create. And it, you know, it sounds like you're doing, doing that and putting a lot of time and kind of teaching yourself along the way. How do you think you should emphasize that being a value in your life? And what are what are some of the fundamental things that you look at that help you make that happen and make it a reality right now? I think um, so. I I think I've probably said it to you more than once, but I remember it was either last summer or the summer before that when I was working. I was working at a restaurant. I said to you like every day that I'm there, like every day that I don't right is another day that I'll be there. Like when I don't write, say there's whether it's a day off or a day that I'm working, if I don't write that day, that's one more day that I'm going to be in this place that I don't want to be. So it sort of comes down to, and I'm like, it comes down to how frustrated can you really get with yourself? When is enough enough? And when are you going to force yourself to do something? Because I mean, it's on one hand, it's like, like I said before, everybody's got a creative outlet that they're happy doing it makes them happy. But for something, and it's, it can be the same for anything that you creative because anything creative, you start with, you're looking, there's a blank canvas somewhere. There's a blank page. A lot of writers talk about that is like overcoming that, like, even in the daily rituals, a lot of like all these writers who have said that they get to a point where they have to write because they think they feel like they're going to die if they don't. But on the other hand, those same writers will tell you that writing is like grueling. It's just, it'll, it's in a certain way, it kills you as well. So can see why Tim Ferriss, that kind of guy would recommend a book like that because it puts in perspective all these great people who have done great things who will be remembered for probably ever. And you get to see what their day-to-day was. You get to see like their, they become, they're turned from like these deities to regular people who need to do certain things, will put off what they need to do just like anybody else. It really humanizes a lot of great minds. The last entry, like it ends on a really like, see if I can find it. Like the very last entry, the way it ends is pretty great because Let's see, this is it. So it says, eventually everyone learns his or her own best way. The real mystery to crack is you. So at a certain point, once you've gotten past that point of, instead of doing this, which really won't benefit me in any way, I'm going to do this, which may seem like work and sort of be compared to doing nothing, like sort of grueling at times. Like once you find a way to you know, give yourself whatever you need to do 
and put yourself in a position where you can actually do it like that takes honestly that takes a lot of weight off your shoulders because once you make that first step all the other steps after that are a lot easier it's actually you know what I, i don't know if you did this on purpose but it's sort of like what deciding to become a seasonal can be like i said i was in chicago doing the same thing i had been doing for a long time and then you asked me and i said no and then you asked me again and i said yes and then since then a lot of this stuff that i probably would have thought would be well i can't do that or i shouldn't do that has become a lot easier just after that first step no matter what you're working on no matter what you want to put your time and invest your time into i mean everybody's different i mean it's a lot of it is being honest with yourself I mean, if you're not doing, like, say, like, you're going to have good days and bad days, no matter what you do, you just got to sort of know when to be hard on yourself and know when to give yourself a break. People that get into those situations where, you know, they're working your job that they don't want to, they either know what they're looking for, or they're not sure, they just know it's not there. They are, you know, spending a lot of time working at something they know they don't like, and they're not putting an enough time into themselves or into the projects that they want to do or find, you know, putting time into finding what they want to do. Do you think it's more a lack of self-respect or a lack of self-confidence or something else? Both of what you just mentioned has something to do with it, but I think it's more of not so much being confident in yourself, but more being comfortable with yourself. I don't know who said it. I've been reading a lot of quotes recently and it's probably from some random movie but it was like something along the lines of well how can you know me or know somebody else when you don't really even know yourself so and also that makes me think of so when I'm with our grandparents so I've heard grandma say this a couple times when she's talking to other people about you or me or whoever like whoever from Ketchikan or whoever is a seasonal she always say like we just didn't know that you could do this we didn't know that you could just do all this stuff. We didn't know about any of this stuff when we were their age. We didn't know that it existed. We didn't know we could do it. We just never, we just didn't know. So I don't know if that <laughs> has anything no, that's to do a, with it. That's a great point. If you don't know, then you think it's, it, I've used the kind of allegory a lot of times where if there's, all these different train tracks to success and there's a brick wall built around the one that you're on, you can't see any other ones. Yeah, totally. So you need a boost up to see like that there's tons of different train tracks to success and some of them are way easier and way better, more of a better fit, I should say for, you know, your, how you want the trip to go than the one you might be stuck on or the only one you know about. Like what you said as far as does it have to do with self-respect or self-confidence? I think it's just sort of just having, just knowing, just being able to say that you can do something or not do it. Like it's sort of like it's a fine line between self-confidence and just, it's not denial. What's that D word where you're sort of like, you just, you're just not in touch with reality. Despondent? No, I don't know. Detached? But, no, it's not that either. It's um I'm just so detached. Yeah. <laughs> but honestly, like no matter what you want to do right now, it, there's never been a time where so much information is readily available. 
for no, no matter what you want to do, even if that's go somewhere new. I mean, there's a reason that our grandparents didn't know that this kind of stuff, that you could do this kind of stuff is because, and, and that's like, people did do this kind of stuff back when they were young. And even before that, people have been doing, have been hopping around, like travel, like just spending their entire lives going from one place to the next since forever. I don't know. I guess there's just a certain, uh, there's just certain times where like, so I was watching Peter Jackson just came out with that, um, that world war one documentary and there's somebody like it's all just audio from interviews of soldiers that were in it and it's showing all these people all these men lining up to join the army and the audio over it is this guy saying like things things are different now but back then if your government asked you to do something you did it and you were happy to do it but i mean think about that compared to now that's not the case. You know what I mean? Yeah. It sounds like there's, or it seems like there's a lot more freedom of choice, but there's still the same hesitancy to go at something yourself, Mm -hmm. follow a path that you choose, even though we have all this information. A a lot of time, what I get is people that say, Oh, I want to do that. Or I, what you do is so cool. Like, I wish I could do that. And as I'm like listing how they could do it or why it's easy or, you know, how, (laughs) why they can do it probably better than I can. You just see them not listening or maybe not, not listening, but just like their wall of disbelief is up and they're like, Oh no, I couldn't do that. I've got this or this or, you Mm -hmm. know, I can't do that. And I was like, wait, wait, you you think that I didn't have that? (laughs) You know, if you, and you know, then it comes back to, okay, Maybe they didn't actually mean, I wish I could do that, or I want to do that, or, you know, you're so lucky you're doing what I wish I could do. Maybe they don't actually mean that. Maybe they're just saying, oh, that's cool in their own way. Yeah. I always wonder if I'm pushing too hard when I think that, but at the same time, I think the, you know, we've, the people that want to do it, we've gotten to do it. I, th- I think I was saying the other day, like nobody I, that has made the jump has ever regretted it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's tough. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I don't know. I, don't well, know. I, think I was reading something that is something you wrote for the magazine that you said it's not for everybody. It's probably not even for most people. The, everybody who has basically decided to do it did it for a reason, whether it's a reason like mine or maybe instead of like either to get away from something old or to go somewhere new. Like, I mean, it's just, there are certain people, I don't know if it's good or bad, but there are certain people who being a working stiff is suffocating and it it's painful. And then there's other people who, who are very happy with it, who don't, who just, don't think the same way don't like the people i work with i work at a hardware store right now and everybody there whether they i mean are openly complaining about oh i gotta go to work again or have to wake up early or whatever it's i can there's a difference between the way they feel about it and the way i feel about it yeah we have an article kelly was showing me just today something that somebody wrote and they kind of talk at one point about how seasonals are this like special kind of person they're 
you know, they made an allusion to being the descendants of like pirates and <laughs> nomads and, you know, just, just having something special about them. And she, she asked me, she's like, is that, do you agree with that? And, uh, you know, as if she didn't. And I think we, we both agreed. And after, after talking for a bit, we agreed. It's like, there's nothing special about the the type of person that choose it, to me, if any, if anything, I, I said that, you know, sur- being a survivor, like, you know, you can survive on no money and one pair of clothes for a month. And, you know, you can go somewhere where no one speaks your language and you can come out the other side better for having done it. And so if, if your one superpower is surviving, that means your spirit animal is probably the cockroach. And <laughs> at that point, you know, like whoopty fucking do, you know? So I, I disagree that there's anything special to seasonals at all. And that's kind of the point of like what we're trying to push is, you know, anybody can do it. If you, if you're willing to give it a try for six months or a year or, you know, even hell, even three months or, you know, maybe a couple of weeks, like just if you're not as happy doing what you're doing, if you take a break for a very small amount of time and try this, you don't lose mm-hmm. it. Shep made it. Shep made a really good point in his podcast episode. And he, I've heard him say this a, a ton of times to other people that life you're in now is always going to be there. You can go right back to it if yeah. it doesn't work out, but you should at least try doing it this way because as many, many people have proven it's um, it can be just as successful. Yeah. It's just, I mean, it's, you know why it's scary to do and i know why everyone like anybody could say why something like that that big of a change is scary i think it comes down to two big things which is how okay are you with being out of your comfort zone because that's a huge part of it and that's something that i like talk to sarah about is you there's just no way you can go through life and not do things that make you that are out of your comfort zone. Like the more you do out of your comfort zone, the better. And another thing is like another big part of it is, is flexibility because I think there are a lot of, as far as like day-to-day small stuff, if you pay attention to the way people react when they make plans or break plans or have decided to do something and then, refuse to sort of customize based on you know what's happening around them like a good example there are just like two big parts of deciding to do something like that deciding to make a change comes down to really pushing yourself out of getting out of your comfort zone which is probably a lot of things the a a big thing holding people back and then the second thing is flexibility as opposed to to stubbornness I don't know I just that's just it's just another thing that I find myself talking to people about is something didn't happen that you think were going to happen so you got to do something else right you know what I mean and what and what I'm thinking about now is really small stuff like day-to-day stuff like we thought we were going to do this but we can't because of this and so a lot of arguments and differences of opinion start from that little well i'm upset about this or that 
but it's because if I was just flexible about it, then that'd be a completely different story. And so being flexible enough to change, to change your plans, like say, and like you asked me what I'm going to be doing five years from now. Like if you take that, if you cut that down to a year or a month and that, that, that also goes back to what Eric was saying. It's always going to be there. What you are doing is always going to be there. So are you flexible enough to, to get out of your comfort zone and try something else? Last question. What is one movie and one book you think everybody in the world should watch or read? One book is going to be, it's uh, an author, T.H. White. It's a book called The Ill-Made Night. It's about Sir Lancelot. It's probably my favorite book apart from Jungle Book. And one movie would be, dude, that's tough for me. Probably a movie called Lahaine with um which translate to the hate starring it's uh, got vincent cassell in it and i don't know the name of the director but i would say yeah lahane as the movie and um the ill-made night for the book great well thanks for coming on the podcast yeah homie we'll see what else we can do to patch up this uh relationship between you and the <laughs> Uh, 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 yeah, I think that's at this point. I mean, we want you back. (laughs) 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 All right. Well, we can, we can make it happen. We'll find a way. All right. Cool. That's it. That's the episode. The seasonals are Kelly Mogg, Ryan Deininger, me, Joey Ravinsky. The theme song by Ryan Deininger, Joe Williams, Louis Leva, Chappie, Thomas Hamilton. Follow us on Instagram at the seasonals underscore. Like us on Facebook. Listen to our next episode. That's it. We're out. Yeah.